0: and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 73. Welcome, welcome. It is time for some live pre-med, pre-health, pre-PA questions and answers with experts. Speaking of which, Dr. Scott Wright.
1: Hello, hello, hello. How How's are everyone you today? doing? I'm doing Uh, Great! Uh, I hope everybody is uh, experiencing a little bit of fall wherever you are, and uh, so yeah, everything's going well. Awesome! Yeah.
2: And Verenia Granum, hello, hello. How's everyone doing today? Thank you all for being here. Um, (laughs) Fall seems to want to come here to the Northeast. It's just still summer's just not not willing to let it in basically (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it gets a little chilly at night but today it's like the high is like 79 or something it's insane yeah
0: Yeah, over here in ohio it's also a fight Mm -hmm. i'm rachel grubbs i am one of the co-founders of mapped and today i am your host um along of course with freddie and scott uh, Dr. Ryan Gray is not able to be here today, but he's okay. His family's okay. He's just got some stuff he's got to take care of, and uh, he'll be back with us next week. But in the meantime, you've still got three experts who have been in this uh, education arena for 20 years. I think all of us, about 20 years. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we old, but we stay up to date. Our information <laughs> is not old. We're constantly working to maintain our expertise.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: So yeah, um, one thing I wanted to get into quickly before we um, take questions from the audience is, so for those of you that have MCAT prep coming up, um, we posted this on the mapped Instagram account, but just to make sure everyone's aware, uh, Khan Academy and the AMC have announced that the Khan Academy MCAT prep is going to be available through 2026. So yeah. Um, You know, maybe some pre-meds aren't aware because this has been kind of in the offing for actually about two years now, about a year and a half. Um, During the 2020 COVID pandemic craziness, completely unrelated to those things, but during it, uh, Khan announced that they were removing a lot of their academic help that wasn't around college and high school and sort of pre-college work. So they were getting rid of some GRE prep, some GMAT prep, some other courses that weren't very popular. And one of the courses they listed was the MCAT course. Um, Pre-meds did not like this. uh, we were granted a short stay last year, and then again this year, and now the WMC and Con have come out and said five more years of Con being accessible and free. So that is really good news for MCAT preppers that they will continue to be a free resource. Um, and yeah, it's definitely something that, however you're preparing for the MCAT, that's that's something that you're going to have in your arsenal that will cost you zero dollars
2: it's glad they were able to do that yeah yeah all right let's take some questions from the audience sure so we'll go ahead and get started with the question from kelvin here uh how do medical schools view an accelerated physics one class taken during the winter and of course thank you for all that you guys do thank you so much kelvin we appreciate that Uh, i'll go ahead and 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 jump right in um i you know accelerated courses cover the same amount of material in a shorter amount of time so you're going through them at lightning speed um, and you know godspeed i hope that you're able to kind of learn and understand what you're uh, what is being taught um, you know there are many different reasons why students end up having to take a prereq during the intercessions. Um, so i don't you know it, it's not something that's necessarily going to count against you and at this point you've taken it or i don't know if maybe you're considering taking it um, if, it, if it's, you have to get it in this winter session for whatever the reason is, then it's fine. I think you can go ahead and do that. Um, for our listeners or, or viewers who may be sort of earlier in the process, um, I would say maybe try to take all your prereqs during the academic semesters. But if, or, like I said, if, if there's a reason that you have to take it in the intersession, summer, winter, whatever that may be, um, physics is, is actually one of those that, that would be okay to take during that time. Uh, what do you think, Doctor Wright?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that um, you know when medical schools when you when you put it into the AMCAS application and the way it's on your transcript, I don't know that medical schools are going to look closely mm-hmm. enough to really even know that it was taken mm-hmm. in an accelerated fashion. So I, I think that the, you know it's an accredited course at an accredited mm-hmm. institution. Wherever you took it, ha- however you took it, accelerated, regular, whatever, it, it's it's going to be fine.
2: Yeah. Yep. And I and I mentioned physics being one of the ones that you could, could potentially do okay in during winter session because um, it's not um, you know it's not like your biology or your chemistry, right? It's not a course that's going to require um, some really intense time in the lab. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Great. Thanks. Hey, moving on. Hi Yvette. Hi, Yvette. Yvette wants us to know that she likes to listen in because it relaxes her. Even if she doesn't have any questions, she's always learning something. Love it. Awesome. awesome. I actually <laughs> didn't read that, but thanks. That. I was no, like, I'm oh, glad I you posed a question on a <laughs> We appreciate it. We appreciate it, Yvette. That's glad true. that we can help you relax and, and, and soak in the knowledge. All right. Question from Mohamed. Uh, how can international F1 students get clinical experience when they cannot do paid work? Good question. There are limited volunteering clinical experiences. Will medical schools be fine with that?
1: What do you think, Dr. Wright? Um well, I, I don't know how limited those volunteer experiences are. Um, I think that we have a lot of students that do hospice, uh, volunteering don't seem to have a problem getting into hospice. That's certainly clinical, uh, activities. Uh, nursing homes are, are another, uh, good, uh, resource for clinical, um, clinical experiences where they do volunteer there. Uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, you just got to beat the bushes and, and find, mm-hmm. find places to, to do things if you're, if, you, if you're an international student and can't work, uh, you know, in the U.S. And uh, medical schools are not going to be fine with not having mm-hmm. uh, clinical experiences, uh, w- whatever the reason. Uh, they're they're looking for that. They're going to expect that. So, uh, Muhammad, I, I I understand your your dilemma, uh, but you're going to have to really work hard to find those cl- those clinical experiences in a volunteer way, uh, in order to uh, to meet what the expectations are of the medical schools.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Muhammad. Um, Rachel, I know you mentioned earlier we may have a question that was asked. Yeah. No, I pasted
0: it in so it'll come up in the queue. Okay. Um, Yeah. I just made it easier on us. Let's see. Uh, Here's one from Gabby.
2: Gabby. Gabby would like to know, do you have to be a more competitive applicant to be interviewed slash accepted from an October complete application? Yeah. So submitting in October, let's say, um, it's it's a little later in in the cycle right and we know this process it's rolling admissions it's you know sort of first first come first serve sort of um so you know it it helps if you are still a strong candidate but i think the question is you know what happened as a strong candidate what happened that you sort of had to wait until until october to apply um Mm -hmm. but but you know what do you think, Dr. Wright?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, the first question I would have, Gabby, is, you know, why did you delay? You know, was it MCAT? Was it, you know, what circumstances surrounded why it, why you didn't apply earlier? And, you know, boy, October is r- super late. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, and I agree with that. I think you have to be, you know, a pretty stellar candidate to, uh, uh, but it still happens. And medical schools are still going to look at your uh, look at your application. The, the problem is that a lot of the interview slots, or many mm-hmm. of the interview slots, have already been awarded. There are a finite number of interview slots that medical schools have. There's just not, you know, an endless uh, array of those. And so, I think you have to be, you know, cognizant of that, and in your expectations uh, moving forward. So, I, I think uh, Gabby and any um, applicant who is at this point in the, in the cycle and, and, um, and haven't heard, hasn't heard anything, even if you applied earlier in the cycle, I think it's getting closer to the time where, you know, you need to be uh, having realistic expectations. We, we suggest that if by Thanksgiving, you haven't really heard anything from the medical schools in terms of uh, an interview invitation that, that you need to sort of, take that as is not good not a good sign and you need to be thinking about what what are the weaknesses in my application what can i do for the next cycle at this point that will make your application stronger whether that means taking more classes for for example in the spring whether that means retaking the mcat more clinical experience or volunteer opportunities uh, etc you know you need to really have a a, a really clear understanding of what is uh, what is holding you back. And, you know, that and I, I would take that opportunity to, to remind our, our listeners and our viewers that uh, mapped we do have advising services available, and uh, we off, uh, offer these. You can uh, view them at map.com, uh advising, and uh, we will have, um, you know, the, you can have a one-on-one uh, with one of us uh, as the advisors to, uh, to talk to you about where are the weaknesses in your application, what should you be doing to um, have, you know, to have um, a better application, you know, stuff like that. So uh, we do interview prep, we do essay reviews and feedback, uh, full cycle advising uh, uh, program as well. So check those out. If that's something that you are interested in, that could be, you know, uh, we're certainly here to uh, to help.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. OK, let's see, Jared. So Jared would like to know how obtainable are scholarships these days? Are they need-based or for very competitive applicants? So GPA 3.68, 3.35, 3.4, 3.95, 3.98. So an upward trend there. MCAT 522, 5,000 hours as an ER tech. Applying broadly across country. So again, how obtainable are scholarships based on what Jared has just described here? So yeah, yeah. I I
1: think that's gonna vary uh, by the institution. Uh, every institution uses, you know, has a pool of money that they use, whether it's federal aid or state grants or uh, institutional uh, scholarships that they hand out. Um, I think, you know, some institutions have a money that they allot on a merit basis, um, and merit doesn't necessarily mean uh, the numbers. Uh, Merit could mean that the admissions committees saw something in your application that they really loved and uh, that they, you know, wanted to, you know, offer you a a scholarship. So that's just going to, Jared, that's going to depend really uh, on the the individual medical schools and in terms of how they will do, do that. I I don't think you should go into this thinking uh, I'm going to get, a whole bunch of money and you know maybe even medical school paid for because my numbers are so high uh yeah. i mean congratulations to you mm-hmm. number 1 for having great metrics uh mcat of 522 that's amazing a lot of uh hours of uh clinical activities excellent so you got a great application and i'm i'm super stoked for you Uh, But I would say you want to go into it thinking, okay, I may get some scholarship money, but most of it is going to be the federal um, the federal loan programs uh, besides anything else that your state or uh, or institution is going to offer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What I would just briefly add to that, I mean, all of that I 100 percent agree um, is if Jared or for anyone listening, you're kind of thinking in comparison to college scholarships are pretty few compared to what's available for college. So loans are much more common. Now, scholarships do exist. And like Dr. Wright said, um, a lot of them go through the school. There are also some that go through independent groups, um, right? And often those groups are, you know, based on their values or the demographic of the members. So you could just you know, Google med school scholarships and see if there are groups offering them. And you think, oh, yeah, the people they're describing, that's me. Um, And again, you know, it's finite. (laughs) Um, So I I don't think anyone should count on it. But it certainly doesn't hurt to try if you've got the time and energy to fill out a bunch of repetitive applications. Um, And depending on the fees to apply also, right, I wouldn't, wouldn't blow too much money on it. Um, But there are some out there if you want to do the research, but there's, um but yeah fafsa is going to be your friend yep well maybe not your friend but your (laughs) much needed ally (laughs) in In this process pain for med school Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) absolutely uh
0: all right let me find our next questioner.
2: okay so sam asks what Talking about five years of work experience in fast food and how it allowed me to interact with a variety of people and build service skills be a good topic for a diversity secondary. What do you think? I'm, I'm actually leaning towards no, kind of. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I, I'm saying no. I'm thinking yeah. no as well. I mean, you know, if if, if that's all you got, then sure, you know, why mm-hmm. not? Uh, I I think you would, um, you know, really want to, you know, emphasize how important that c- customer service uh, opportunity was over the course of those five years and the interaction with not only uh, your customers, but your coworkers in terms of, you know, cultural diversity or mm-hmm. ethnic diversity or socioeconomic diversity, et cetera. So, You know, I definitely think that there could be better topics. It depends on your background um, a little bit in terms of, you know, where you've come from and what you've done and things like that. So I I don't think it sounds to me like the strongest uh, diversity secondary, but, you know, depends a little bit on how you write it, I guess.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we've definitely talked before about how diversity doesn't have to mean um minority or ethnicity or cultural background right it can mean unique education um but but yeah i mean just food service is not that rare i mean i Mm -hmm. guess maybe accepting right now when finally i think there's a change in the air about that kind of job but you know so many high school and college students have jobs in food service so i don't when when i think rare. When I think unique perspective, I don't think food service. Um, Now that said, did it help you build some of the competencies that you're going to need in med school? Sure. It probably made you a more patient person. It probably made you better at teamwork, probably taught you a lot about why it's important to treat people who, um, even if you're the customer, right, you should still treat that person serving you well, (laughs) right? Like, I'm not saying that you didn't get value out of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for customer service skills, like, uh, and and leadership skills. You know, just you know, maybe leading a team. But I don't necessarily um, see it as a diversity experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Albert. Albert would like to know when I apply next cycle, my cumulative GPA will be a 3.3 with a science. GPA of 3.08. Last 60 credits have been a 4.0 with about half of those credits being the required science courses. Is that okay? So Albert's referring to, you know, what we talk about, you know, having an upward trend. I see you smiley, Rachel.
0: Oh, I met with um, the director of post-bac programs at Johns Hopkins last week, um, just through an NAAHP session, like, you know, an advisor health profession session. And she was talking about how This is. I'm quoting her. Well, I'm paraphrasing her because I don't remember exactly how she worded it. She said something like, "I am not the purveyor of what's okay." Um, (laughs) So I appreciate I appreciate this question, and also like only med schools decide. (laughs) Yeah, let's have someone take an earnest whack at it. I'm just that. That's why I was smiling.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. I I mean, yes. You know, you're showing that it it looks like you're having sort of an upward trend with your last. Um, 60 credits, um, which of course, yes, medical school will will you know look at that. Some schools will only look at that. Some schools look at the whole picture. So as as Rachel was just kind of jokingly, tongue in cheek, saying, um, "It's going to be up to the medical school." But good yeah. kudos to you for kind of picking it up and and keeping keeping that up and showing that upward trend. Yes, sorry, absolutely. Dr. Wright, go ahead. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree completely.
2: Yeah. All right. All right, we'll
0: take that offline student question now.
2: Oh, this is the student offline. Okay, Mm -hmm. so for the upcoming cycle, I want to show significant ties to my hometown medical school. In high school, I did a medical program there. Is there any information that I should um, specifically state before or while applying? So a student wants to show significant ties to their hometown medical school. Um, is there any information? I mean, I would, you know, you could mention that, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, you could mention that in, I would say probably their secondary application Mm -hmm. is where you would want to do all that. Uh, the primary, obviously, you're not going to want to do any of that, but the secondary application and, and there may be questions on the secondary that, give you the ability to say, you know, say something about that, or you could throw it in, in a particular question, you know, Oh, having gone to high school in such and such town, I did this or whatever. Uh, But I I definitely think that that is uh, what you should, you know, where where that goes and what you should do uh, in talking about that.
2: Yeah. And then if you're fortunate enough and you get an interview, that's also something that might come up during Mm -hmm. your interview you can bring it up at that point.
1: Great,
2: Ben Ben would like to know what looks better for an LOR physics professor who is not as familiar with me on a personal level or the dean of my college who also taught my substance abuse course and who knows me on a personal level, okay, so letters of recommendation physics professor taught science class but doesn't know the student as well as opposed to a dean who does know the student student well but didn't teach a science course. I mean, I would go with obviously the person that knows you best and can best speak to your qualities as a candidate. Um, however, some schools do require, they have specific requirements, right? A certain number of, of recommendation letters from science faculty, let's say. Um, but in if it's a choice of, if it's an either or, you can do either one, then definitely go with the professor, the Dean who can speak, you know, to who you are as a person, All
1: right? Yep, totally agree with that.
2: Okay, All right. Jose, hello. I did over 400 hours of a research internship, but got no publications, poster presentations, or strong PI student relationship. Should I focus on getting more research or is this enough? What do you think, Dr. Wright?
1: Um, If you liked the research um, that you were doing, if you enjoyed the the process and all that then absolutely um you know getting more research experience would be great uh particularly setting a goal that you're going to have a strong relationship with the PI so you can get a letter uh maybe a letter of recommendation out of it now having said that if you didn't really enjoy it that much then don't do anything else don't you know don't do it there you know there's there's uh, you've you've had the experience, and if if one of the takeaways from that experience was meh, I didn't really <laughs> feel strongly about it, mm-hmm. then don't feel obligated to do more.
2: Absolutely, great. Apu would like to know, or sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. Apu, can we put prospective research projects in a month or so on our application if we were applying earlier in the cycle?
1: I would say no. I think you, you could mention it in a narrative, Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, on a secondary application in in one of the questions and, you know, you know, sometimes they'll ask questions about what do you plan to do this year or what, you know, what are you going to do in the following uh, months or, you know, just things like that. But in terms of the activity list, no, you Mm -hmm. you don't put any future events on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good idea for anyone who's going to be applying in 2022 to start wrapping their brain around the application handbooks. Um, I mean, it it can wait. You can be reading it as you go. But if you even just take the time to give it one read sometime fall semester or over winter break, it might make it a little bit more palatable to you come um, May. Um, It's not an easy read, right? So you're mostly going to use it as a reference, but it's nice to know what's in there. And one of the things that all three application services state is that you can project current activities, but you can't list a future activity. So if you're applying in May and you started in April, that's fine. But if you're applying in May and you're starting in July, no. Yeah. All right. So them's the rules.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep.
2: Kelvin, Kelvin again, can I submit my application in June without an MCAT score and submit an MCAT score in July? If so, am I at a disadvantage? The answer is yes, Kelvin, you can Kelvin, you can apply without the MCAT score. Um, And then once the score comes out, you'll, you know, the the application will be updated. Um, Are you at a disadvantage? Not necessarily. I mean, schools will wait. Some schools will wait to see the full, you know, picture. They'll wait for your MCAT score. Some may start, you know, looking at things and sending out secondaries before your MCAT score arrives, um, is released, I should say. So um, it's not going to necessarily put you at a disadvantage. Now, having said that, if you can take an earlier MCAT, sure, that would be ideal. Uh, But no, it's not going to put you at a disadvantage. Agreed. Nikki would like to know I'm currently a sophomore entering junior year next semester. I've been looking, I've been completing research in hemp pathogens for the past five months. How would medical schools look at this? um they'll look Mm. at it i guess as you know any other research experience right go ahead dr right
1: yeah i was just gonna say just because it's hemp pathogens i don't think Mm. you need to be concerned about that i mean there's a lot of uses for hemp Mm -hmm. and so it's a a new and Mm. not new necessarily but sort of uh more and more um things are being made from hemp or hemp byproducts or whatever and so so I don't think it would be a disadvantage or the med, med schools are going to go, oh, wow, what's this all about? You know, so I all don't right. think you need to worry about it, Nikki.
0: <laughs> It's yeah, i wasn't strange. sure if that was the tenor of the question but like, well, that's kind of how i interpret it. yeah <laughs> i mean i put hemp on my breakfast cereal it's a good yeah, vegetarian right? <laughs> protein
1: right? Right?
0: Go. it doesn't have tcd in it <laughs> th what is it
1: th yeah oh T-H-C. my
0: god see can you tell i'm not an expert
1: anyway it i specific... don't even know if it has cbd in it i don't right. i don't know
2: i didn't even think of that i thought just it's research <laughs> don't worry about it yeah Okay, uh, this one. Oh, great. Next question. I have a quick question. If I wanted to apply in 2023, when should I take the MCAT?
0: So I can take this one. Sure. Um, so uh, the, you've got a range of time. Some people who are going to apply in 2023 will take the MCAT in late summer 2022. And that's about as early as I would recommend. So if there are reasons that it makes more sense for you to prep for the MCAT in the summer, then that's the summer you wanna do it. If you can prep during the school year, if you know you won't be quite ready by summer, then what we typically say is sort of the classic ideal time is January or March of 2023. Um, So those test dates won't be out for a year. Like we literally just got the 2022 test dates a few weeks ago. Um, So um, you'll just kind of have to hang tight till next October and then you'll hear, well, in September, you'll hear about the 2023 test dates and then you'll just try to sign up for one. So that does mean just sort of trusting that that test date is going to come open to you with that date in mind, because you may well start prepping before you actually have an exam date.
2: Great. Okay, question from Jawad. Can i classify myself as disadvantaged because of recent financial financial difficulties in my parents business suburban and 200k plus income oh so 200k plus got it um i'm gonna say probably not um as far as um, being disadvantaged i mean I, rachel what do you think so there's a couple ways to look at this um if you are applying
0: through a comus or texas they don't have just a self-diagnosis disadvantaged essay. They've got a series of criteria. So it's things like when I grew up, I always had free breakfast and free lunch at school. Um, you know, my, in my parents' income is this. My, my community had this. I didn't speak English in the home. So it, you just say yes or no. And then based on your answers to those, I don't know, 10 or 15 questions, they just decide for you. Now, Amcas leaves it a little bit more fluid. They say if you think you're disadvantaged, write this essay and tell us why. But I still think those questions, even for someone who's not applying, Do or Texas, are useful for anyone to at least go look at them because it gives you a feel for what med schools are considering disadvantage. And you know, Jawad, I don't want to, I don't want to be judgmental in either direction here. A lot of people are going to see 200k and just roll their eyes and go, nope. Um, But what I don't know is what your parents income is this year. Um, And, you know, with the financial difficulties, you know, they're going to look at um, when you do FAFSA, they're going to look at history of income. Um, So at some point that data is going to come out. Um, So only, you know, what it is, what it's going to be, what it was. Um, But yeah, you know, if you went from 600K to 200K, I'm real sorry, but that's not disadvantaged. (laughs) Um, if you went from 200k to poverty line then I don't know maybe you should Mm -hmm. dig into it deeper Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you guys think anything else to add there
1: yeah I was just going to say that I think what they're really looking for is growing up disadvantaged you know did did, in your in your formative years elementary school middle school high school you know even early college years were, were you disadvantaged because of Uh, some factor in your life that, that affected your ability to, you know, get a, you know, be prepared for educationally or, you know, whatever. So um, I don't know if, you know, a recent, I I don't know what impact a recent thing like this would, would have on medical schools. It's certainly going to be different. Um, but I, I don't know that it really addresses what what the the, the true meaning of that disadvantaged essay for Amcast is really getting at, mm-hmm. in terms of you know what disadvantage that has has brought upon uh, your family, th- that would have fundamental um, effects on you as a as a person.
2: Right. Yep. yep. All right. So, a question from Victory War. Um, So I got my BA abroad and Dr. Gray advised, I get the 90 US credit hours before applying. Is it okay that I include some credits from my foreign degree when I apply, having having fulfilled the 90 US credits? Um,
0: The short answer is it varies. You need to go pour over the application handbooks. Mm -hmm. Most med schools, most application services Want to know the schools that you went to, but will not calculate foreign coursework in your undergraduate GPA. There are a few exceptions. It's really complicated. Um, And I I wouldn't want to guess on air, right? You're just going to have to pour over the handbooks and start emailing the application services if you're not sure if you qualify or not. Mm -hmm. Good luck. It's hard. This is a hard process for you. Um, oh, and another international. We'll do that.
2: Sure. So this is Chris. Hi, I'm from Africa, Namibia specifically, and I am pursuing a bachelor, bachelor's degree in medical laboratory science. And then I'm planning on taking the MCAT. Will I be eligible for admission? Chris, yeah, you'd apply. You you would be eligible as an international applicant.
1: Mm-hmm. And That's now I do too. want to point out that courses that you take in the medical science program. Uh, will not fulfill um, the prerequisites. So, you know, that you're taking chemistry, biology, and stuff like that for science majors, for a, you know, biology major or what. If you took, for example, if you took AMP in your med lab science department, that's not going to count the same way an AMP would taken through, the biology department or whatever. So just be aware of that.
2: Yeah, you may have to retake some of those, uh, or sorry, you may have to take some of those uh, prerequisites. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and the best answer here, Chris, is ask your advisor at school. Whoever is the person who officially helps you do your registrar work, um, they're your best resource for this kind of question because they can help you sign up for the courses that are in the pre-med track. No one's gonna know the school courses better than someone who works at that school. Yep. yep. Okay. Uh, one more from Yvette. I'm not sure I understand this. Maybe someone can translate.
2: I'll do I'll try my best. Uh, how does TMDSAS having visibility without position and in interviews, acceptances, etc., with other schools in Texas affect us applicants? Or it doesn't and i need to relax maybe they meant with our position in interviews how does, I mean, does it... sorry yvette
0: yeah i thought maybe I you don't... wanted Yvette, are you saying it makes you nervous that all the texas schools can see all the other texas school data
2: i think that's what she you might
0: have to reclarify.
2: try again yeah <laughs> uh so oh, again dr wright was muted for a second i thought he was saying something
1: I don't know what that means either.
2: Okay. Okay. All right. Enzo, if you did shadowing experience in different specialties, how do you put it on your application? For example, like does two days shadowing experience have to be on the application?
1: It depends on whether you want to put it on there or not. I mean, I would put everything and anything that's related to shadowing or whatever. But uh, absolutely, I think you... You definitely want to put that on there.
0: Yeah. And I guess, again, the, apparently the theme today is go read the application handbooks, kids. Mm-hmm. Um, a calmness in Texas have unlimited activity spaces. So there's no reason for them not to put every single thing you ever did that has meaning. Right. Pretty matter not. Right. Because it's good to see you're a well-rounded human being. Um Now, AMCAS only has 15 spaces. So if you're someone who's lucky enough to have more than 15 high quality activities, then yeah, you might start thinking about collapsing. And a lot of people will take many different shadowing experiences from several different specialties and collapse it into one or two shadowing Mm -hmm. activities. Um, That's pretty normal. But again, it's there's not a right or wrong answer here because it depends on uh, with AMCAS what you're doing with the other 14 spaces.
1: Yep, Yep. definitely.
0: Okay.
2: Esther asks, is a withdrawal from courses on a transcript a red flag for admissions committees? So withdrawals in and of of themselves are not necessarily red flags. Um, Things happen, maybe you got sick, you couldn't finish the course, you had to take a withdrawal. I think what's more of a red flag are multiple withdrawals, right? So you're withdrawing across several semesters or you keep withdrawing from the same course. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that could potentially, you know, definitely catch someone's attention. It might come up during an interview. Um, But one or two withdrawals throughout your college career is is not a red flag necessarily.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's the trend. Mm -hmm. Is the big thing. If, if this seems to be a trend that you sign up for 18 hours and Mm -hmm. then you, you know, drop down to 15 because you're waiting to see which courses are going to be more difficult and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And always withdraw from one. If you do this on a consistent basis, that could be a red flag.
2: Mm hmm. question about e-shadowing. How is e-shadowing viewed at the moment? If it's my only shadowing at the time of application, would that be a big weakness? So e-shadowing, you know, as a result of COVID, obviously we had to kind of, you know, pivot and make things work. Um, It's as things are progressing with the vaccine and and people are getting vaccinated and things are opening up, um, there's more opportunities, I think, uh, for in-person shadowing. So I'm going to say that if it's your only experience as far as shadowing goes, but you've had other clinical experiences that really allowed you to have more interaction with patients, you sh- you may be okay enough. But if if it's your only experience, then it's it's probably not a good time to apply. I see a big head nods from Scott. You want to weigh in?
0: Nope. Oh, and he froze. He's a little frozen. He'll
1: come back. I agree oh, with that completely. Yep. Agree with that completely. Okay.
0: Yeah. And we did um, in March, late March of this year, we had um, a session. Yeah. You're back. You're back. Yeah. Oh, geez. We, we heard you say you agree with that. Um, yeah. I was just chiming in that we did have a session with some deans and directors. Um in, um, on, in late March of this year about what they thought about e-shadowing and virtual shadowing. So that was really for people in that current cycle and also looking ahead to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, their, their point was they went through the pandemic too. So they mm-hmm. certainly consider it better than nothing, but things are starting to open up. It's not as hard to get shadowing now as it was a year ago. So mm-hmm. now getting shadowing is always hard. Right. I'm not, I'm Mm -hmm. not dismissing that we don't have a good system in place for pre-meds for that. And I wish we had a better one. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but yeah, I think at this point, um, you should try.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said before, it shouldn't be your only experience at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Okay. Another question from Jawad. Can being a medical assistant be one of my important experiences? is being a personal trainer good experience? So question about experiences. So Jawad, only you can kind of, only you can make that determination, right? If, if being a medical assistant was one of your most important and impactful experiences, you went through it, you have to kind of make that decision. Was this, you know, what was it about this experience that uh, for you, it was so meaningful. So you have to make that determination. As far as being a personal trainer, yeah, absolutely. That is good experience, right? You're working one-on-one with someone, you're coaching them, you're guiding them, you're motivating them. Um, so lots of communication skills, um, leadership skills, their motivational skills. Um, whether or not that's the most meaningful experience for you as far as, you know, like medical school, that again, that's something that you have to uh, make the determination about. Okay. Scott,
0: what do you think Agreed. About this?
1: Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I think that uh, medical assistance is a great experience. So, uh, and personal training can be a- an awesome experience as well.
0: Yeah, I know Dr. Gray was a personal trainer for a mm-hmm. couple of years before med school. It's not clinical, but not everything right. in your life has to be clinical. You just have to get some clinical. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. <sighs>
2: Abood would like to know, how do medical schools look at more than one MCAT attempt? If the first attempt was lower 490s and the second attempt was 510 plus, will that first attempt still put me at a disadvantage? Is it a red flag? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, Abud. The fact that you retook it and you, you jumped to some 510 and above or you know 510 plus, that's a huge jump. So no, it's not a red flag at all. Right. Good for you.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, Justin would like to know, what do you think is the biggest downfall for high stats to, that do not make it in? Oh, that's a good that's, one. That's a loaded question. Maybe, yeah. Maybe
0: this should be our giveaway question this
1: week. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. Good oh, idea.
0: oh, oh. And Apparently, I'm also going to throw my computer around.
2: You're just so excited give this away.
0: Can't contain ourselves. All right. Well, we can all take a turn on this one. What do you think, Scott?
1: Um, I definitely think that it can be uh, lack of clinical experience. Um, this could be a big, a big, uh, a big red flag for a medical school where a student, you know, has done only student stuff and really doesn't have a lot of clinical experience or doesn't seem to be engaged in volunteerism at all. Uh, these could be big big red flags for medical schools.
2: Absolutely. I'm going to go with, uh, in addition to what Dr. Wright was just saying, maybe just lack of reflection, Mm -hmm. lack of really understanding why you want to be a doctor. Maybe that didn't come across very well in your personal statement or in your um, descriptions, just really kind of lacking an understanding of why you're doing this and why you want to be a doctor. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so Justin, I guess you're getting three potential downfalls as opposed to one definitive biggest, because after all these things are subjective. So I agree, lack of clinical or lack of reflection, by which we kind of mean like, don't know why you want to be a physician. Um, but I'll put as a, as a third, because I think those two are probably the biggest, is um, just doesn't represent yourself well, right? So I've seen people in interviews um, who, when they're nervous, come across as arrogant And they may not actually be arrogant people, but um, I know Ryan's talked about this in some of his interview prep sessions. Sometimes people think the way I'll impress is by having the right answer, right? So as opposed to understanding that in an interview, you're meant to have a conversation and get to know someone, they they kind of approach it in this dogmatic way of like, I have to impress you and I have to convince you. Um, And people who try to impress me and convince me, I usually immediately kind of, off put versus someone who just lets me lets their personality unfold and lets me get to know them, and I think a lot of adcom members feel the same right they they 're thinking about you as a pot- potential physician they want to see if you have humility and empathy um, mm-hmm. so and you know this isn 't about you, Justin, right? You just asked the question, but that 's a thing that I think sometimes high stat people um, have a lot of confidence, but they also might have some bravado to cover their insecurities. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I think, too, with regard to that, Rachel, is that if if an applicant gets numerous interviews and they don't get an and they have good numbers and they don't get an acceptance, this is a big clue that something's going on in the interview Mm -hmm. process at multiple schools that everybody's identifying and saying we don't want this this uh, candidate. And so that would, you know that would be a big red flag in terms of a student reflecting on what's going on here. You need some interview prep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So giveaway, Justin, if you want to email us, info at map.com, we can set you up with a year of mapped, and then we'll do a giveaway for the replay as well. Um, I'll post a comment afterwards to remind people, but um, people who are watching on the replay, leave a comment or a question and we'll do one more giveaway from
2: those. Yep. Okay. Good question, Justin. Good question, Justin. All right. We've got more. I don't
0: know that we're going to get to all of them, but we can take a few more. Sure.
2: Question from Amy. How would medical schools evaluate pulse back classes taken at a community rather than at a four-year university, given that money is an issue? So we get this question often. What do you think, Dr. Wright?
1: Yeah, I think that the, the fact that you're taking post-bac classes, the reason why is the key here. If you're taking post-bac classes because you have a lackluster GPA and you're trying to show that you can do the work at a high level, then you do not want to do it at community college. I understand completely the money. The, the differentials in cost, I get it, but it's not going to do what you want it to do. That, the whole point is to show that you can do the, the, the uh, courses at a high level and the many medical schools, perhaps most, are going to view community college as, as not, not doing that. Um, uh, besides the point that, that very few community colleges have upper level Uh, coursework for you to take. So they're not going to be offering biochemistry. They're not going to be offering, you know, higher level, uh, biological science courses or neuroscience courses or things like that.
2: Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Question from Nicholas. I received a deferral from a school that I interviewed at early in the cycle. Any advice? Should I send a letter of interest, and why would a school def- defer you for later consideration?
1: So I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the word deferral, and and I, I, I'm I'm a little bit confused, Nicholas, by your question because typically the word deferral is re- referring to you get an acceptance, you get admitted, but you or the med- or the medical school are deferring you to a following year. So you've got an acceptance. You're not going to be allowed to enter this year, but you, you're guaranteed a position next year. That would be tr- the traditional usage of a de- of the word deferral. Now, it sounds to me like what you're, you're talking about here is that the medical school has put you in something of a pending status or a we'll review again later status. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't get a uh, an, an admit uh, you didn't get an admission to the medical school, but they're putting you sort of in a uh a reviewed but pending status uh and they're gonna review you again later on and that could be for a variety of reasons if I've got that wrong, let us know in the in the uh in the comments um, so he says okay, they said that they are not ready to accept or reject me at this time, I will continue to consider me for. Okay, so that makes sense. So a lot Mm -hmm. of medical schools will do that. They're waiting to see what other applications come in. They're waiting to see how Mm -hmm. the interview process is going. It could be a variety of reasons why they do that. It doesn't, don't read too much into it. It's not a reject, so that's good uh so just kind of hold out hope and and keep uh keep going with uh what you're doing but uh you know I, I don't think you need to interpret it as a neg negative necessarily
2: is this the same thing as as sort of being put on hold yeah pretty yeah. much yeah. okay yeah It's a little frustrating for students. We get that, Um, but as Dr. Wright said, it's not negative. It's not necessarily a rejection, so.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, that's been a conversation among a lot of advisors lately too. Like this is Mm -hmm. a really hard part of the process for pre-meds because you you guys, most of you did what we said, you got it all in by July or August, and Mm -hmm. now you're just waiting and you might have five more months of waiting Um, that stinks, but it's right now, it's just the way the process is, you know, will it ever change? Maybe. Um, But that's kind of why, like we said, we talk about Thanksgiving, you kind of have to have this balance of not giving up hope. But if you haven't heard anything by Thanksgiving, maybe thinking about what your application for next year looks like, you do have to hold that dichotomy. Because if you wait until April first and go, okay, I definitely didn't get any acceptances, then you hardly have any time to make that application better. Um, so it's just a tough balance yeah
2: and i think i think we need to be more vocal i think students advisors we all just need to be more vocal with medical schools and and just sort of saying hey you know maybe just as soon as you know for sure you're not accepting someone just cut
1: them loose yeah let
2: them know quick email doesn't really take that long
0: yeah and it's tricky too right because for someone like nicholas maybe they're saying not ready to accept or reject because he is still maybe gonna get an acceptance you know and i mean I don't it's the, they're trying to fill their mm. class with the best future doctors they can find so he's still running right now yeah, yeah. um it's tricky it's really yeah. tricky
2: yeah.
0: all right we've got time for one more that's kind of relevant to this deferral hold question so let's go
2: for it lucy asks can you touch a little on letters of intent do you think it makes a difference for the adcom so we talk about this often too, letters of intent. What do you think, Dr. Wright?
1: So, uh, number one, I don't think it makes a difference to the admissions committee because the admissions committee is never going to see those letters. Now, to the staff of the admissions office, the admissions officer, the administrators, these are typically the people who are making the decisions about alternate lists, you know, waiting list applicants. Uh, stuff like that, maybe necessarily who who they're going to make offers to uh, at later points in the process or whatever. So I would say that, um, you know, a letter of intent is never going to be a negative, whether or not it's going to be a positive. It depends on the medical school. They get lots of letters of intent. They get letters of intent from people who get offers and then end up don't come to their school, which is why schools look very, you know, suspicious on letters of intent because they get them all the time from people. And then they make an offer to that person and then the person ends up not coming to their school. So,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: the medical schools are like, well, what do we do with these letters of intent? You know, they, you know, they don't seem to mean anything. They seem to be gaming, you know, the system. And I'm not saying that's your intent, uh Lucy, but I do I do think that it you, you have to see it from the pr- perspective of the medical schools that it may or may not be helpful to them in, in terms of making decisions about who they want to make offers to
2: agreed. All right
0: there's a lot to navigate.
1: Yeah there is. Mm-hmm.
0: All right well I think that wraps us up for this week. So reminders
1: I've okay. got something I want to share with everyone.
0: Oh okay.
1: Everyone, this is uh-huh. my newly born granddaughters. Uh Chloe is on the left. Ella is on the right. Just wanted to share a little a little howdy-do from these cuties to all now, of you out there listening.
0: I see a little ginger there. Is that a little red oh, yes. in the hair? Uh, yeah, Love
1: it. Chloe is definitely going to be a redhead. Uh, unclear right now about ella but uh we'll see but uh, their dad is a redhead so uh, yeah thanks for sharing yeah Yeah. it's a little pink burritos yeah so cute So, thank you for sharing
2: oops sorry congratulations
0: um (laughs) all right uh Ryan says redheads rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, I picked the wrong one. There, Ryan says redheads rock.
2: Uh, I think Ryan might
0: have had red hair at one point.
2: (laughs) Uh, All right, guys.
0: If you did not get your question answered, you can always come back next week, or I will be answering questions and comments in um, the video comment section for the next day or two. So feel free to post it there, and you might catch me that way.
2: Awesome. take
1: care of everybody thank you all for joining bye. bye this is Dr. Gray again
0: closing out I hope you learned something from our session today if you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast track and navigate your journey to medical school
2: using the only tool like it for pre-meds we'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean